Legends, welcome back to another outstanding episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my insect and an ancient device and co-host, Alex D'Andino. Alejandro. That's right, guys. Yeah, this uh, month. We're doing the Del Toro, and it's going to be great. But before we dive into today's killer episode, a little bit of business. People, it is official. Your friends here on Film Alchemist are on Patreon. That's right, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. The very best way to help and support the show. The very best way to make this show exactly what you want and deserve. Guys, for as little as a dollar a month, and I assure you, Every single dollar is greatly appreciated. You can get in, meet the community we've already been growing and establishing over there. See the cool stuff we're working on. And if you can and are able to go up the Highlander tier ranking system, you get to specifically select the movies that you want us to discuss in a Patreon exclusive library. Which also is fun because it might start including some bonus content, some more episodes diving into stuff. So um, guys, a lot of great stuff. We're working our asses off to make sure that uh, the Patreon is worth it. We know that every dollar is hard-earned. We want to do the same. For those of you who support us already, thank you so much. For those of you who are about to, love you guys. thank you as well. Make sure you go to YouTube. Subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist, so you can see our eternally young faces. We don't need no devices or blued. We don't need no sangre. We're just <laughs> genetically blessed. That's us. So, again, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Find us on all the social media you're on. We're easy to get a hold of. Guys, reach on out. You'll hear from us. Uh, Also, guys, make sure you're leaving us a rating and review wherever you find the show. That's an easy, quick, free way to help us out. It does mean the world to us. Help us fight back against the algorithmic, germophobic, cane-whacking, overlords that try to keep us down uh but yeah man even on spotify now if you're a spotify listener it's a new feature make sure you go leave us a five star on spotify (laughs) all right enough of that shit let's get into it man i am fucking excited for this month's theme this month guys we're doing del toro all movies by the great guillermo del toro uh he is just the guy who is making movies that feel specifically aimed at all of my happy places, right? Right. Uh, wonderful filmmaker, wonderful advocate for kind of monsters and horror, right? The thing I love most about Del Toro, and this movie's a great example, right, is he really reflects the monsters are not just always these hideous outside entities, right? He always finds the human in monsters and the monster in human. Um, every one of his movies has this wonderful magic about it. And not only that, he just seems like a really wonderful guy who absolutely adores movies. He's fascinating to listen to. I love this man very much. I'm really excited we're tackling his stuff this month. We are beginning with 1983's Chronos. 1993. Not 19. <laughs> 1993? Yes. <laughs> tomato tomatoes what's nope. 10 years ten in years. the span of eternal life if you put the chronos device on the movie 10 years is gone in a blink 
No one knows. Anyways. It was the 80s. They're not going to notice. All right. I was wrong. I was wrong. I'll admit it up front. I'm wrong. Let's move on. Uh, So, Alex, this this movie really early taps into a lot of the stuff that Del Toro became so famous for, right? Mm-hmm. We have this wonderful visual telling of this device. We have a wonderful monster. We have fantastic, almost fairy tale like lore. We have a wonderful bond, a familial bond. This movie really has it all, and it's really fun to go back to the early stages of Del Toro and see the seeds of what was to come. Had you seen this movie, and what were your opening impressions of Kronos? I had not seen Kronos. I thought I had. I had not. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, like, it's... The fucking it's Guillermo. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's just... it's. I, I think this is, like, the really awesome thing about Guillermo del Toro. I think he's... I, I Even though people mark Guillermo del Toro, I think he is one of the criminally underrated master filmmakers of our time. Don't worry. Like, 10 or 20 years from now, we'll all realize how underappreciated he was, and we're all, like... He's, like... Because he loves the things that like we love, like you and I particularly, like they are they are very much pointed movies. And I feel like anytime movies like his come out, we're like, huh? I was just thinking about how much I loved this. I'm like, great, now I get to go see a movie about it. <laughs> but like, he does such a good job of making it work for making it work for not just modern cinema, but just in general, like everything feels like a love letter. Like, there's nothing about the way Guillermo del Toro makes movies that doesn't feel like he's not a fan himself. And I think that's something that is very rare, especially amongst genre filmmakers. Cause a lot of the time genre filmmaking feels very much like fan service. This is the first time when you watch, when you watch Guillermo del Toro movies, I feel like I'm watching a filmmaker make something that he really, really loves. And he's very passionate about. And I think Kronos is an amazing start because Kronos has so much, Guillermo del Toro-ness. There's like weird iconography. There's strange little pieces here and there. There's a Ron Perlman. Like there's just all the pieces that you really love about uh, Guillermo del Toro movies show up in Kronos. I, I it was a fucking again like it's just it's just an yeah. awesome movie. It's a great it's a great setting the stage for what's to come. And like I love that there's every movie you think of, he just keeps improving on what this like base was and this base is incredible to begin with right and finally it melded where in shape of water he finally got a lot of that recognition i think that a lot of people had seen earlier but now it was like for everyone now right? it was like cool. it was still a vast amount of people we were there like, first oh, ass fucker movie <laughs> yeah like he's making the fish fucker movie win an oscar right and you're like all right so it's not for everyone right but if you know you fucking know True. And this movie starts off, and it, it in just like a couple minutes, this is a wonderful microcosm of why I love this man. Yeah. Right? We start off with an alchemist who finds a way to create this Kronos device. He's the royal watchmaker, right? Uh, just really kind of a deep lore thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this will give him eternal life. 400 years later, this man is found as this kind of almost hideously deformed white creature. Yeah. Who has a building is collapsed. He is caught in the rubble. Something has pierced his heart and he dies. His uh, apartment is full of upside down gushers, right? He's filling up bowls with the old, yep. uh, the old good stuff, right? As they say in vampiric circles, the old, the old good stuff. 
And uh, because of that, they're like, well, this is gross. Let's not let's not, uh, let's not keep tell this anyone. going. Yeah. Call the maids. Let's get this fucking swept under a rug. All this guy's shit disappears. The Kronos device may not have ever existed, right? And what do we cut to from this scene of an upside down corpse and a weird looking archangel statue? Just a fucking grandpa and his granddaughter having a grand old time. Just, right? a Just blast. this fucking insanely endearing and sweet relationship mm-hmm. of this man in his shop drawing hopscotch to play with this kid. Yep. And I was like, there it is, man. There is this wonderful, loving, relatable touchstone that I put my feet on after the fucking blood and carnage. <laughs> and it's this it's this really cool thing because in a way, what I think some of his movies, the best of his movies do, mm-hmm. is when you see two characters that actually bond and have real love, that love becomes so much deeper and more important to us as the audience. Mm-hmm. Because we know that the monsters are circling. Yeah. I think that's what makes Guillermo del Toro movies so special in general is that they're they're never based in this, like, it's interesting. Like, they're almost not based in fear. It's strange. Like, there's these fearsome elements, but the base level emotion in the movie is almost always love. Almost, Almost always there's the element of love is the base emotion that takes us through the movie, which makes the monsters that are circling, so to speak that much, not even that much less terrifying, but that much, the stakes are already high enough. I think that's like, again, he just, he knows how to, he knows how to tug at your heartstrings the right way. Like it's the real, it's the real fucking deal, man. It's, yeah, it's, it's masterful. And not only that, he, he doesn't use the monster as a prop, right? No. In his movies, almost exclusively the monsters are us right mm-hmm. and he does the thing i love right which is what the best horror movies do is that the monsters are us people right so when we see the withering rotting corpse of this old man that is still animated yeah that is somehow a reflection of an emotional truth that we don't want to acknowledge right but the monster's still that weird fucker with the cane Mm-hmm. in the safe room the monster's still ron perlman absolutely right so he looks at monsters in a way with this empathy right it's a hard to recognize truth right it's a person who has suffered because they didn't understand the consequences or consequences of a logical miscalculation in this movie a literal accident right turns this grandpa into a corpse right right he's cleaning the chronos device that he finds in this cockroach ridden statue Right. And as he's cleaning it, it stabs him. And then he becomes this addict-like bond with this eternal youth machine. There's never a moment where it feels like the grandpa is chasing this on some glorious journey no, to live no, forever. No, 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 no. This is about It just is survival. this kind of... Right. It's this, it's this element of not even evil, right? But it's this weird ethical conundrum that just kind of accidentally fell in this man's hand. And we watch how that plays out. And I think that empathy for mystical and monstrous things is the real difference in why his movies feel different and often better than a lot of their contemporaries. I agree. I mean, I think empathy is, it's the root. I mean, that's exactly how it has to be. I mean, it's one of those things like when you watch, you know, when you watch Frankenstein, for instance, do you feel for 
Frankenstein's monster? Or did you feel for the man himself? Like, of course you relate to Frankenstein's monster. Like he is, a, he is all of us. We're all lost in our own way. And I think that that's, what's so great about Kronos particularly is even when we start, tr- even when we start getting a handle on something, we are also still just as lost as Jesus throughout the movie. Like it's this, it's not even, even when he knows what's going on, it's still this loss of, it's not even like a loss, like the way in the fly, like this, like body change and those kinds of things. It's a loss of, it's a loss of control over like, what is next? It's the fear. It's not even fear of the unknown. It's just the unknown. I think what I love the most about the performance and particularly about Jesus's character is like, there's never a time for me that I feel like Jesus is in more in like, abject fear other than obviously like when he's about to be cremated but like <laughs> there's <laughs> but there is this, that would that would rightfully yeah, fuck rightfully so <laughs> but there is this like there is this very strange almost it's it's a strange like knowing of change it's a it's a peculiar thing i don't know how to properly describe it but just the way that Jesus is characterized in this movie never really makes me feel like he's on a journey of, he's on a journey of change, but he never feels like he's scared of that change. He's just experiencing it in a lot of ways. It's a very, yeah. well, there, there's not a, it's, it's the difference between this and like your example, the fly, right? Yeah. In the fly, Seth Brundle is laser focused on achieving something, right? right? right. On battering the laws of nature, right? Mm-hmm. Seth, Brundle is the alchemist from the opening of the movie. This guy gets caught and there's this wonderfully horrible scene, right? Where he's itching and rolling around and he's having oh, this, yeah. this, you that know, scene withdrawal is amazing, symptom. by the way. I think yeah. that's and just then he, he grabs the thing and puts it on his hand and there's sweet relief. Yeah. And he sees his granddaughter who sees him and he goes, I'm okay, I'm okay. In his mind, he knows he's not okay. Mm-hmm. But again, he didn't put the Kronos on because... Oh my God, I'm losing my powers. Oh my God, I need this. He puts it on because he's got an itch, right? Yeah. And that's it's as simple as it is. It's an easy and, thing and the to movie even to. makes explicitly clear he never knows the rules of this. No, thing, he doesn't. Right? He just does it because the creeper an itch. fucking holds the notebook, right? Like an asshole. And so he just it literally just falls upon him, and I think that that very understandable interaction with this wondrous object is great the the scene that really just hammers home to me why i love this film so much right is he comes back from the meeting with the guys he's gotten a little information they fucked his shop up yeah and he's like you know fuck you i got the device you i got the book like the game's afoot right there right. they've set the boundaries he goes home and he's looking for the device i can't find it he knows the little girl has it right he runs up to this this right, room right. on the roof where she hides and he's frantically looking for her, right? And he almost starts with, you know, this, where are you? Like, almost like yelling at her, right? Like, he's right. mad. She shouldn't touch his things. And there's this wonderful moment that I think all of us can relate to. As a parent, I really saw this, right? And he sees these little shoes. And he says the girl's name, and the shoes disappear. And we just get this wonderful close-up of this sweaty, scared man in this horrible unexplainable scenario and he just fucking smiles and he sits down and offers some tea to her and talks about how he knows how it's scary right and that he's sorry that he scared her even though he himself is a victim and that that smile when he sees the shoes slide back 
I was like, that's everything to me, man. Like, mm-hmm. you don't get those moments in a lot of monster flicks. Yeah. And that that moment is so fucking sweet. And she comes out and she's put it in her teddy bear because she's trying to save grandpa. And then a lot of that relationship is what I latched on to, right? The idea of her turning her toy box into a coffin for corpse grandpa. Oh, my God. I was like, that's such a beautiful, perfect Del Toro image. It is. It's It's just, just... it's fucking sweet, man. And and I love the, I love that that's where the movie goes, right? Like, there are a lot of great vampire movies that is. The vampire is beginning. And again, I don't even know that I would classify this a vampire film, right? It kind of walks between a couple things. Uh, Yeah, I mean. But there are a lot of movies that when this thing is descending upon them, we get the bloodlust scene. And this one kind of skips that to show you that what what matters and is scary about this device is that we know he's going to lose that little girl. Right. I think that's the thing that's most important about the way that this movie works is not even the fact that it's assigned up front to us that this is an emotion this is the emotional core of the movie this relationship between a grandfather and a and a granddaughter. What it is is it's this is the part that's really fascinating is it's not like this is the thing that's not fear of change. Like it's not this. Um, I love that this is the part of the movie that I latch onto the most because yeah, he's just going with it. She is complete understanding of it. She never hides like she cowers from her grandfather simply so that she can hide the device from him. Never because he's scary or anything yeah. like that. It's still his grand, still her grandfather. It's like, it's understanding the beauty in the world and understanding that like, yes, there's a change, like things change, but this little girl in any other movie is like being chased or being hunted by a grandfather, by a loved one. And like, that is always like, I think that's always the really common beat. This particularly is the one that's just, this is about love. This is about, I want to save my grandpa. Well, even those images near the end of the film when he's going on his mission and she brings grandpa his blood-sucking device. Yeah. Right? And then she just kind of is down for the mission. She's like, yeah, grandpa, I'll brain a guy. Right. Like, let's go kill some fucks, grandpa. I love you. Sidekick, the whole thing. Yeah. Let's go kill this nose job and fuck, and then you can bounce me on your knee and tell me about the good old days, grandpappy. Uh, She's just down, (laughs) man, because that's that's her grandpa. She's down. And, And I think... Oh, I love that stuff, man. Me too. Um, another thing I loved about this film, man, I loved the choice that Del Toro made to go inside the Kronos device. I love what that. a weird fucking choice, so man. Cool, but man. it was so cool. Yeah, I. <laughs> what did you make of this? This going is another. Because at first you're like, wait, is that is that biomatter? What's happening? This it turns an... out to be some kind of bug. It's just a bug. I think this is another thing that I love about. Guillermo del Toro's he's it's not about like it's not about like the gross out or it's not about what I would consider like just gore he goes for it's the creature effect like he loves that like all this stuff in his movies like but that one particularly I was like that is a fucking awesome effect like it is not even like this it's this writhing it's not a worm it's just some weird like bug it's so cool yeah well the device has spider legs and then kind of like a scorpion tail Mm -hmm. to attach that to this bug it gives it this parasite feel right yeah 
Um, it's very infection. Yeah, somehow life's the ultimate survivors, right? Buried in rocks and will just live for 100 years till you wake them up. This kind of us chasing after the insect abilities and how weird and not normal that feels. That really is fun because he goes inside of that thing two or three times, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's very important to him to show. And I think that the mixing of images, right? Because at first the montage or the not montage, but the shot begins with like the perfect spinning of mechanisms, right? You know, the perfect gears of the Royal Watchmaker. Right. And then you cut over, you just slowly drift over. You're like, oh, there's just this lumpy fucking bug. And it's this wonderful pairing of, you know, the perfect precision of science and alchemy. And then that's cool. You still need all this messy shit. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a point in the film when I was sitting there wondering, I'm like, does the is the bug important or is the Kronos device? Like, well, if you just had the bug attached to your arm, yeah. would that do it? And it's... But that that mixing, right? It it shows the there is a version of this out here, but we have attached our science right. to it, and then that gives it a, a malicious new form. Right. I like that the base. I think what I like the most is that this isn't about just. It's interesting. It almost dispels the alchemy of it all. Really, when you think about it, like it, mm -hmm. what it is is like the base of this is organics. It's not just. It's not just like the Philosopher's Stone or anything like that. It's not a metaphor for enlightenment. It's not just the mechanics that of man-made mechanics. It's literally just the basis for life, the basis for spreading anything. You know, I mean, yeah. And we're all so. And it's interesting because I thought about this in like relation to Mimic, which was I think the next movie he made after this, his second next movie, maybe maybe the was Double Dragon. Really? What came a what first. a. I mean, it tracks, but like, it's one of those things where I was like, "Bug, yeah." <laughs> I got a lot of shit to say about bugs, <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's this. I like the idea that the base for prolonged life or whatever this is that happens to Jesus is, uh, it's organic in nature. It's it's organic in nature, and it's the same. It's it's in the same way that a lot of villains in Guillermo del Toro movies try to control nature itself. Like the attempt to control nature itself is so is like it's so violent. And that is the part that's the thing that I I love the most about it. even the more Hollywood, like once we get deeper into Del Toro with like Blade Two and those kinds of things, the attempt to control nature is so violent and so fleeting that I think that's what I like the most about that just just that like those little cutscenes of inside the mechanism is controlling nature sure but like you can't control what happens to nature once it gets out and i think that is like that is the thing that i love the most about that beat mm -hmm. well it's also this cool reinforcement right of yes you can live forever but at what cost and what kind of life right right, right. this insect is obviously living forever is that the life you want right right do you want to be the insect attached to this fucking machine and i just thought that was cool man and then you mix it with we watch this man beginning to descend and lose, right? So there's the one where he's got it on his uh, teat, right? He's just, like, doing a little quick teat injection because he <laughs> wants to be all freshed up, right? He shaves. He's like, I'm going to go out and to this party, right? I'm going to yep. I'm gonna get a little a little teat suck, yep, yep. get my venoms out, and then I'll be ready to fucking cut a rug. Absolutely. And so it, there's this kind of scary moment in the bathroom, right, where he's getting his tit sucked. They're like, hey, come on. And he, he's looking in the mirror and doing this, like, you know, who the fuck am I? What is this body, right? There's, like, this fucking viscous, gross gack on his wounds. 
Oh, so and he nasty. talks to the little device, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I believe he says, uh, who are you, little one? Are you God? Mm-hmm. And then he goes, you're very good for me. And in our minds, we're like, I think not, <laughs> right? Like, I feel like we're about to get the counterpoint. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> But then it's like, so we go from that where you're like, this is scary body horror. This is not right. What's he using that tit suck for? So he can dance with his wife. And the kind of beat of that next scene is that him and his wife can't even be bothered with the conversation at the table because they're just looking at each other in a way they haven't in a long time, man. And again, just reinforcing the this is the shit that matters while this crazy shit's going on. Then we get to the truly scariest scene in the movie, right? So there's a bloody rag, right? He follows the room. Oh, no, the blood's sucking. Yeah. All right. So he sees the blood all over this counter, and he's about to start freebasing the blood, right? Just like a little, this, was this a 1980s movie? I don't know. Greed is good. Blood greed is good. Uh, and then all of a sudden, as this horrifying thing's about to happen, he ups the whore, right? Yeah. This fucking bulbous rube just fucking mashes his way out of the shitter, right? Clearly took a big dump. He's readjusting his whole body. He walks up to the sink where the guy's about to snort blood and he goes, oh, ridiculous. Uses his fucking hands to wash the blood into the sink, right? Then he turns on the water, gets a little sprinkle on his hand, flicks the water off and leaves. So I was like, not only does that guy just have dump all over his hands, hands all over, (laughs) probably just not a strong wipe because he was busy about getting out of there. Just like fecal all over this man's bod. And then he's like, yeah, I'll touch the random party blood and doesn't wash his fucking hands. Yeah, you're right. You know what? Cruel, I take it back. Horrible. <laughs> this movie might have been made. I think this movie was actually made in 83 and <laughs> released in 93. Yeah, I'm telling you, in Del Toro movies, always look for the human monsters. Fucking dump blood wiper guy is the scariest character he's ever put to film. I watched that and I gagged and had to go back three times. because I was like, no, no, there's not a squirt of soap. Nope. There's not a nothing. There's not a nothing. Just, He's not putting like driving gloves on afterwards. Nope. Just foul. Just the old, yeah. Just the old dumping blood, yeah, eh? No. It was like Andy Dufresne foul. Just. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, and then, I mean, it's even worse because Jesus then gets on the floor oh, where uh, just old bloody poop has monster. Has to lap it up. Lick it up. Takes like the saddest little, like the saddest tiny lick, and then just gets kicked in the gore. Kicked in the fucking face. <laughs> like this phase. is just taking the saddest turn in movie history. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the thing too. Is like you're like, it's funny because like we get to the next scene and he like wakes up and they basically like, I'm just like, is this man's last meal gonna be fucking? Facal laced blood that is just the worst yeah. that is that's no yeah no man whatever creature of the night you might be should go such a way i'm gonna have to go watch again i'm not even sure bloody rag guy washed his hands proper i don't think anybody washed their hands proper this is why this isn't a real vampire movie you can't be chowing down on monsters that don't wash their bodies yeah, no that's not a thing no wonder that guy maybe that guy's not a monster for living in the fucking germ room <laughs> he's like everywhere i look it's just shit and blood 
It's filling the street. I thought he was crazy. That is like, by the way, that room is one of my favorite design elements I've seen in a movie in a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. That's that's just odd. Well, it's one of those great things where it's it's this odd mix of you instantly recognize what it is, so it's familiar. Mm-hmm. But also, this is very wrong. Yeah. This is very cold and wrong. Uh, it's just a great mix, man. Oh, so one thing before we go to that guy. What did you make of the decision to make Jesus this corpse man, right? Gets fucking rolled off the cliff, Mm -hmm. dead in the car. I forget how he says, he has this great line, right? Is he sitting in this smash car? Yeah. And he goes, all that blood is mine. I'm dying. He talks about pain or something like that. And then he goes, I can endure a lot more. And in that moment, I was like, but why? Why does this man wants to keep fighting like that? I guess the granddaughter and shit, but I mean, I guess, I mean, we're talking about Guillermo del Toro, man. He's like, I want to get back to that bathroom floor. No, but, um, so what, what do you make about this turn into doing an actual like Nosferatu tale? Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of man, who's gaining powers via blood drinking, this is actually the rotting corpse of a man. Right. What did you make of the turn? that the film takes for Jesus in this beat. Well, it's interesting, you know, like it's, it's what we all expect. It's, it's an interesting like reversal of the idea. It's a reversal, but not really of the idea of what vampirism is. Cause like for me, I'm not even sure I would characterize what's happening to him as vampirism. Like other than just bloodlust, there's a lot of elements of that, obviously like sunlight, there's a coffin type thing, I guess. But to me yeah it's got the window dressings of a vampire film but in the wrong house almost i mean to me it's like the shedding of skin it's actually much a lot like a much like a bug much like a snake might do it's the shedding of skin for a new life and like you know i i man i fucking love this some of my favorite creature effects i've seen in like first timer movies too like and also like del toro I was actually just listening to him on Mark Marin because he did an interview for about Nightmare Alley, but he was talking about he did most of the uh, makeup effects for Kronos because it just saved money. That's awesome. Because he spent a lot of time <laughs> when he was younger learning a lot about makeup effects. And so for Kronos, he actually did this. Um, I love like when he starts digging under his skin. I'm just like that is so fucking. When he cool. puts his hand, when he in puts his, his hand in his torso, yeah. I was like, that is awesome. It was so and. Like I, but like to me, it makes total sense. Like, of course, underneath is what's happening. Like, it's not about the like your exposed flesh is a thing of the past. There's no reason. Like, you're a new person under you are you were a new person to begin with. So now underneath, of course, you're a new person. So I mean, yeah. for me, it makes for me like from a metaphorical sense from a metaphorical point of view it makes a lot of sense i mean of course he would become this alabaster person because he's not just human anymore he's not even perfect human but he's like marble human marble's not perfect but it can be made perfect it can be chiseled perfect it's it's interesting yeah the under design was really fascinating right because he has almost these lines and contours it's like marble i I think the but that scene for a first movie, right? Pretty is just wonderfully laid awesome. out, right? What's happening? And he's like, peel your skin off. So we see him peel his skin off. There's this white corpsey thing underneath. We saw it with the alchemist, right? Yeah. But just the visuals of that, right? 
he peels it off. He looks in this kind of like very dull reflection, right? Like a, a metallic reflection of himself. And Jesus only sees the monster that he's become, right? This curse. Right, right. Meanwhile, Gloves Mick hit people in the nose is looking across. He sees his salvation. And again, it's it's an early example of what Del Toro's great at is one man sees a monster and a curse and loss, and another man sees his opportunity, right? right? That he's willing to make those sacrifices. He has nothing. He doesn't care. He has nothing to lose, right? He doesn't really love anything. Right. So why would he feel the pain of being that monster and tries to take it, right? And then, you know, a fight ensues. And I love that beat, too, where Ron Perlman comes in. Yeah. And it's kind of the inversion of the grandpa-granddaughter relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, he's actually cheering like, it's like he's constantly dead, it's all be- mine. Constantly berating him, even though this guy's doing all his chores. And not only that, but is such a piece of shit such that not only berates shit. him, constantly keeps breaking his nose, which he's obviously very, very insecure about. about. Yes. This motherfucker. And it's <laughs> it's this great unleashing of Ron Perlman in this, the movie. Because he's always been so good. Like, there's that scene when he's charming and playing with the gum with the girl. Right. And you're like, what a warm, like, charismatic guy. But also with just a look, you're like, man, that's a that's a bastard you don't want to fuck with. And this is the unleashing when, you know, the uncle or whatever, eyes open. And he's like, no, I've had enough of you. It's mine now. Fucking throat stomps him. Yeah. And then he chases them out, and they're going to have their big fucking I, fight. Can I just say... I love Ron Perlman in this movie. Like I love him. I very, I yes. think it's very rare to find like, cause he's just, he's, it's not that he's everywhere. It's more just like, it's very rare to find Ron Perlman young. And it's so weird to see him the way he is. Cause like, we're used to just, we're used to Hellboy Ron Perlman or like sons of anarchy, Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see him as not just a lackey, but then also like, like when he, Right before he fucking throat stomps him, he's just like dancing around like, yeah, it's mine. It's all mine. And I'm like, I fucking love Ron Perlman so much. Like, he just, he goes so deep. And like, this is why I love him with Guillermo del Toro movies too. Because Guillermo del Toro gives Ron Perlman the room to do what Ron Perlman does, which is like throw all of our expectations out the window. Like that first scene when he's in the pawn shop. Not the sorry, it's not a poncho, it's an antique shop. But either way, that first scene where he's mm-hmm. talking to the little girl and when he does the little nose thing, like there's just so much about this. There's so much about this performance, and there's so much about what you see from Ron Perlman that you're like, this guy has there's no like he doesn't like he's just going for broke every time. Like every movie he's going for broke. But this one particular, he's like, I see an opportunity, I'm gonna take it. It's it's awesome. Yeah, man. And, you know, we kind of get to our, like, standard bad guy moment. And I I love that line Jesus has at the end, right? Where, um, you know, you've got much more to lose than I. I just have more pain. Right. Fucking sneaks his ass and tackles him off the roof. They're laying there. Right. And what Jesus does in the last minute, right, is uh, I am Jesus Grease, right? However you pronounce it. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's proper pronunciation. Jesus right? I am Jesus Greece. And he just keeps saying it. Right? He's reclaiming himself, right? While he is in form this kind of monstrous sad thing. Mm-hmm. He has protected his family, right? He had something to live for that they didn't and even die for, right? Right. 
And I love that beat of him reclaiming it. Because the last scene to me is kind of a strange one, right? Where we cut to, he's in like these vampiric jammies. And he's laying out on this bed. And the granddaughter comes in and lays on his chest, right? A wonderful image of this granddaughter just laying on her grandpa now in full monstrous, you know, form. Right. But then the wife comes in and it gets really weird, right? They kind of, he reaches out, they hold hands. And then it seems like the sunlight is coming. Yeah. Right. And we, it, to me, it reminded me very much that famous last bit of Nosferatu, right? Mm-hmm. Where he, he's in the room, he whips around the sun. Ah, right. And he fucking disappears, right? Um, and we just fade to white, but we don't see him burst into flames. Right. We don't see him melt. We don't see him technically leave his family, right? Right. So it's this weird choice that lets us, the audience, decide that if we want to believe that he's got the Kronos and if he can bear the pain, he could stay with his family. I mean, right. That's what it feels like. They're saying he's going to explode in flame. Well, that's what, but it's what it makes it sound. Cause like he was supposed to die when the Kronos device was broken too, you know, like, yes, I thought that too. Okay. Cause that's what I thought. Like that's the beat. It's supposed to be is like, that's the catch. Like that's the way, like he, like that's the other way out essentially that the other guy tells him. But like, to me, yeah, there is this like sort of, I don't know. Like I grew up Catholic, so maybe that's why I'm pulling this, but like, to me, it is this sort of like, and I think he says this in his voiceover too, which is like maybe God sparing him. Like this is like his redemption essentially. But like to me, I don't think he, I don't think he explodes at the end. I think it's a matter of, uh, it's a matter of what you use it for. You know what I mean? And maybe that's what it is. Yeah. It's a matter well, of, well, we see him earlier violently react to sunlight. Right. So, maybe, so it feels like we're going to get the traditional ending, but a, a, it's just that little extra kind of self-awareness of what this movie is. Mm-hmm. We don't want to see Jesus melt away. No, we want to see We want to see Jesus embrace the women of his life. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, I thought that was was a beautiful last moment, man. I agree. Uh, especially because the first guy we saw is this lonely fucking craven alchemist by himself with nothing but bugs and shrapnel around right and that leads us all the way to we just see this guy who forsook eternal life by smashing a device and it's just cool with that because he's getting this moment with his family right? right like and i think this movie it's probably not his most fully streamlined and you know formed film but just everywhere you turn, man, like even the uh, the mortician is just a wonderful character, mm-hmm. right? What in most movies would be a throwaway character is this really funny character, right? You know, he's mad they're going to cremate his art and he puts his fucking gum on his chest and just these little details, right? These little human things that constantly keep emerging in the middle of our blood sucking vampire melting guy movie. Right. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's just rare that you get, I mean, I feel like this movie, like the Kronos device finds the soft flesh of your heart and fucking sinks in, man. Yeah. It's, and I, I think it's fun to go back and imagine, right? Did people who saw this movie be like, well, that was a quirky, like oddity or did they know like, holy shit, man. Right. Look at like, imagine what's to come from this man. Right. Do you see this movie and be like, someday he'll make 
the fish fucker Oscar winner movie, right? Like what a wonderful journey. But I to feel be, like to be I think it's cool to you? see starting films, right? Like yeah. last year for the first time I saw Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers oh, yeah. first movie. And you're just like, that's just about as good a first film yeah. as I've ever seen, right? We just this year covered Pulp or uh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir right? Dogs, yeah. You're like, that's a fully formed fucking filmmaker on mm-hmm. his first run, man. I mean, I think that you see all the bones. You see all the bones that make Guillermo del Toro work. And I think, yeah, like, it's funny because I think you watch The Shape of Water and then you, you could watch this and be like, I can see where all this is going. Like, yeah, you can see the you can see it happening because it has all the same sensibilities. It has all the same trademarks and. It has, most importantly, it just it has all the same feelings, and I think that that's something really important that Guillermo del Toro does throughout all his movies. Is like mm-hmm. all of his movies are about very human, earthly qualities, even though they take place in very yeah. bizarre, unearthly places, unearthly times. There's something very real and very emotional about all the things that happen in these movies, and that is, I think, the most important thing about. Guillermo del Toro as a filmmaker is he's assigned so much emotion to his right. stories that by the time we're deep enough in them, we're just, we're so caught up. Like it doesn't matter if something doesn't work. It doesn't matter if the logic necessarily about vampirism in this particular movie doesn't work. <laughs> the only thing that matters is did that guy eat bloody shit off the floor? That's like probably the most important thing I can say about Kronos. <laughs> That's when he becomes Seth Brundle. He's like, kill me. Kill People me. don't wash their hands. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, you look at this as his first feature film versus, like, another one we've covered, Peter Jackson's Bad Taste, mm-hmm. right? I don't think you look at Bad Taste and imagine the emotional depth that something Not like even Lord close. of the Rings captured. Even his King Kong, man, his emotional maturity was huge on camera, right? Mm-hmm. Not that he wasn't before, but he was putting it up on the screen now. Right, right. Bad Taste is just like a fucking like schlock fest, like punk rock movie. Right. right. I think with this one, it's it's really wonderful to see that it was there the whole time, man. Um, I don't know. I just I think this is a lovely way to start our Del Toro month. Uh, we for sure are discussing Pan's Labyrinth. We are for sure discussing Crimson Peak. We've already covered The Shape of Water. We may be talking about Nightmare Alley. And the the fans, the patrons will select our next film. So that's it for Kronos, guys. Uh, Cannot if you wait. want, Yeah, if you want to make your voice heard in our old selection process, go to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. Join us, guys. It's the absolute best way to help the show. We appreciate it so much. Uh, you, get a, you get a vote on a lot of stuff. You get to pick the episodes you want. It's a lot of bang for your buck. A lot of fun stuff going on over on uh, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. The YouTube is filmalchemist. The email is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Make sure you leave those ratings and reviews, especially now on Spotify. And uh, more than anything, guys, thanks for hanging out with us. Get ready for some Del Toro in your lives. Yes.